Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Of Poetry Podcast with Destiny Hempel. Destiny Hempel, she, her, is a ritual worker and poet based in Durham, North Carolina. A recipient of fellowships from Naropa University's summer writing program, Callaloo, Tin House, and Kenyon's Writer's Workshop, she's the author of the poetry chapbook, Oracle, A Cosmology, from Honeysuckle Press, 2018, and her debut full-length collection, Mother World, a devotional for the altar life, available March 1, 2023, from Action Books. Hi, and welcome, Destiny. Hi, thank you for having me. It's so wonderful to have you here, and I've been a a huge fan of your work um, for a few years now, and since reading Oracle Cosmology, and I'm so excited to have you here today to read poems and and talk. Thank you. I'm really excited to chat with you and also very grateful for the sort of graciousness and cultivation you offer so many poets. Thank you. Would you like to open us with a poem? Yes. The portal appears before proceeding an invocation to be read aloud. Scarlet sky, fissured earth, cotton mouth. Your hands clasped across your splitting belly. In your craw is the historical entanglement, the half millennium long, planetary ecocide genocide not known as since 1492. You were born into it and it into you, churning, burning, bulging within you. Your ears ring, soften your craggy breath. Now a hum, soften your craggy breath. Now a song, now a song, yes, a cicada song, burrowing into your skull, go to the edge. Not the bleach pit of the center, but the edge, the song says, go to the edge. No, not the hemorrhaged, modeling borders of empire, but beyond, elsewhere, go to the edge. Look down, slivers of moonrise so thin, they look like they could slice the soles of your feet. Illumine your path. You follow them. Sometimes you walk, slither, hop along the slivers of moonrise to the edge. Sometimes the knot makes it that you are writhing, convulsing, revolting to the edge, to the edge nonetheless. The edge be a liminal space. And you know liminal don't equal marginal. If you don't know, now you know. But rather, liminal be a ritual space. And a ritual space be for summoning and transformation. When you arrive, the fragrance of mulberry trees washes over you. It is dusk. You are not alone here. Others surround you with red threads hanging from their mouths. You feel the knot entangled within you unravel. You all kneel, sink into the edge, pull the threads from each of your own mouths, not always gently, 
not always gingerly. As you pull, unravel, disentangle, you swoon and sway in somnolence. A summoning hum then howl comes from your throats. And as you summon other worlds, may other worlds summon you. And as you summon another world, may another world summon you. And as you summon mother world, may mother world summon, summon, summon. Thank you. Um, if listeners have heard you read before in person, um, one of the things I find so powerful when you read is that when I've heard you read, you have a, a moment, a really like a kind of significant longer moment. I think longer than we're typically comfortable with a lot of times of silence and kind of preparation before you begin. Um and for me, that always puts me into a church space um, that it's like, it's something it's not, it's a signal that it's not entertainment that we're here for. It's um, something bigger and more communal and um, more liturgical, I think, in many ways. Um, but I didn't know if that was something you wanted to say anything about, or of course you are a performer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the way I use silence to prepare the space and prepare the ground is related to my own church background. And I understand for myself, my first poetic lineage to be Black sermonic tradition. Um, and... Yeah, the moment where a preacher is in the pulpit and making sure that the texts are there and sipping water and kind of preparing to be a conduit for the word, I think was, was and remains a primary model for, for how do you um, prepare for that sort of activation of language and language as this mediation between our relationship to earth, the spirit, and and the beings that are sharing uh, space and place with us. And then the other reason, though, that I engage silence before I engage an audience or before I start reading is to really ground myself uh, because it is a vulnerable thing to get up in front of people. And I, when I was younger, I was, I did speech therapy and you know, I was diagnosed with a speech impediment. And so there's a way that my tongue um, can still get tangled within my mouth. And so try to give, you know, my tongue <laughs> space, you know, before it, it starts to have to really, really work uh, 
for, you know, 15 to 30 minutes in front of people. Uh, so it's also just a way to give myself space to be present in that way too. So like both an invitation from others into a uh, certain type of presence, but also an invitation to myself into a certain type of presence. Yes. The presence, I think that that kind of gives, you know, your audience a, a chance to reset too. And I know as a teacher and a poet, like I can be very uncomfortable with silence um, and, and want to fill it when there are those spaces. But I think silence is such an important part. It's maybe one of the most important parts for poetry. Um, and, you know, I think of how in mother world you use, you know, sometimes, I don't know if this is correct, but sometimes thinking about um, that there's space on the page that can also be silence. And so the way um, stanzas or lines are couched in space themselves on the page. And you do a lot of, you have a lot of different movements in space throughout your book, which is very pleasurable and but also opens your ear up to thinking about all the different kinds of orations and um, types of song that are happening and that they're not all the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, the way that I use white space often or, or in, in mind breaks is um, to modulate breath and to modulate rhythm um, because, yeah, so to provide kind of like a spatial display for how the words might enter the air, you know, as sound. And I think you're absolutely right that that also signals that not, that each poem exists in a particular register and some poems might exist in the same register, but there's also a lot of poems that are moving across different registers. Um, I'm thinking a lot about the poem when we ask mom and them to pray and because that's a poem that is populated by a lot of white space. So it's like, God of my mama, God of my mama's mama, God of my mama's mama's mama. And the way that that form came to me was really through thinking of the whooping tradition and Black church where um, when a preacher is approaching kind of like the climax of the sermon, like these big gushes of like breath that punctuate each phrase. And also, for me, when I'm when I was in those sanctuary spaces, heightened and um, expect my own like internal experience of that that we were about to enter a different a different spiritual plane, like we we're about to go higher, um, and that the breath was the indication of that. It just makes me think about how important 
I mean, tone is right. It's that thing that it's so tricky to talk about um, with poetry. And it's one of the most important things. I mean, any, it's, it's always important, right? I was um, working with a ESL student earlier this week and we had a specific question that we were going over about tone. I mean, and it's so difficult to put into words, but when you can honor tone and honor shifts like that, um, with the form, with the visual form of the page. Um, I wrestle a lot when it comes to you know, whether I, I like listen to a, a book, like an audiobook of poetry or whether I read it. And my, my comfort level is usually with reading it and I love listening to it too. But if I'm going to do one on its own, it will typically be read the book rather than listen to it. But, you know, and I, I think that that kind of like, that just admits the traditions that I come from and that I'm most comfortable with. Um, and also suggests to me like <laughs> where I can expand my readership and like be better about being kind of a full, a full reader, or I don't know if it's a full reader, but just like what you should be open to. Um, because I remember being an MFA student who was just predominantly reading you know, you, a lot of times you're reading a, a poet's work before you hear them read. And then when you hear them read, it's like some door swings open and you're like, you can hear all their tone. Like, I remember being so surprised that like there were so many sex jokes that suddenly like really like came out of people's work. And um, like, that's like a a humorous example in a way, but like, I, I didn't hear them on my own. Um, yeah. And, and like I mentioned earlier, I'm still kind of working through um, <laughs> neurodivergent things and realizing that the way I see the world isn't how everyone sees or hears the world, you know, like differences when you're like, oh, I always, um, but that like, I think you have so many cues in your work. It's very intrinsic to even how they are existing on the page, um, whether you call a poem, you know, a hymn, whether it's a hymn or um, whether it's doing kind of the dramatic work of the structure you have with the portals. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, for all your readers to kind of experience the different liturgical forms. But even as I say that, I kind of want to put the, the brakes on because I think there are readers that are turned off when you use sometimes words like liturgy or um, sacred spaces or um, churches. And so I just, you know, as, as someone who's not f super engaged in f like organized religion right now, but who has a church background, that's me. Like, I think I want to, you know, open your book up to, readers who may have like also left church spaces and be like, mm -hmm. this is a space that you like very generously open for others. Um, not that it will be the same space for everyone, mm -hmm. but, but that's, um, and I, I have a quote here. Um, I mentioned to you that I'm reading Heartberries, a memoir by Therese Marie Mailhot, um, who's an indigenous writer and she writes um a memoir that does a lot with grief and um mental illness and trauma and so uh, a lot of things that 
I am finding really resonant right now. And she has these lines in white culture. Forgiveness is synonymous with letting go. In my culture, I believe we carry pain until we can reconcile with it through ceremony. Pain is not framed like a problem with a solution. And and she goes on to talk about how um, white culture doesn't have the same understanding of transcendence, and neither does it have that. Neither does she see herself as being able to exist in the kind of binaries that white culture sets up. And I I thought that was so helpful to read <laughs> um, because a lot of times you do feel like these things are set up as binaries. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I was just wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about ceremony and ritual in mother world. Yeah, I think similar to the excerpt that you pointed to in, in Heartberries, um, Mother World is not concerned with letting go or, and where letting go often becomes linked to ignoring or pretending that certain past and histories don't imprint upon the present anymore, that, um, that the marks aren't discernible anymore. Um, And Mother World isn't interested as much in transcendence um, where there's this idea that you get above something and leave it behind. Um, But really in and the going through and that wrestling and, and that immersion. So, you know, and what is the ritual with no return? Um, the speakers talk about finding or seeking salvation in the dirt rather than in the denying heavens. And I think that orientation was really important for me um because where mother world emerges from is really deep grief over you know the world that we've inherited and by world i i don't i don't mean planet i don't mean earth i mean a set of social um relationships a a set of organized social relationships. And so um, that are structured by capitalism, colonialism, anti-Blackness, ableism, classism, transphobia, patriarchy, and um, other types of oppression. And that so often in, in the U.S. and in these other countries that hold power as the as you know empire centers and and metropoles is that um 
like, oh, that was a long time ago, like a real adherence to this linear conception of time where there's some clean rupture between the past, present, and future. And if you are concerned with the past, if you're concerned with the losses of the past, that's something that is um, that is bad, that is pathological, that really, that's, that's what creates the problem instead of the problem still creating a problem, you know? Um, and so that's what emerged from, it, you know, organizing in 2016, 2017, and trying to remain devotional to the belief that transformation is possible in these deep excavating and structural ways, even as it felt so inaccessible. Um, and so one way then for me as not only a writer, but a person outside of my writing practice to try to, you know, practice that devotion is through ritual and through ceremony as as practices of like grounding. Um, and because, you know, you're taking different elements from your environment as well as those that might be imperceptible within your environment and asking them to conspire with you towards a certain, towards, um, towards transformation. And yeah, and so in that way, then it's not about ignoring or pretending that something didn't exist, but it's really about reckoning um, through ritual and ceremony. And it's um, really about exploring other possibilities of like transmutation or transformation, um, but definitely does not insist that forgetting is, is, is the way to any meaningful repair. And in certain senses, Mother World also troubles the um, the injunction to forgive as well. I think that the seekers in Mother World absolutely do have to practice forgiveness for themselves and also like with those that they're aligned with um, as they're trying to figure out how to usher in another way of being. But in terms of the receding world that was based on colonial capture, uh, there's not an injunction to forgive, forgive that. Uh, there's an injunction to, to wreck it as far as, as much as that is possible, but it's not an injunction to to forgive in that way. And your, I mean, your subtitle too for Mother World, which is a devotional for the altar life, um, I think, I think like signals that to your reader before even opening the book, because I think it 
right? Like what we want, what our eyes kind of like want to see there, right? Is afterlife because we've heard it so much. Um, and so the fact that it's not, that it's alter life. And then even then it's not A-L-T-A-R, like alter um, that you like worship at, but alter is indifference and change. And um, and so there's like the kind of slippage um, between worlds, which I think comes up in that um, when you, when you talk about liminality and the liminal in the portal appears, um, which I heard that so differently when you were reading, um, and you know, liminal does not equal marginal. And if you don't know, now you know, but rather liminal be a ritual space and a ritual space be for summoning and transformation. And so like, I think that changes so much how we think about ritual, but also how we think about communities coming together in ritual, because I don't think we you know we, and, and this is, this is definitely me as a white speaker saying this, but like a lot of times we think of like corporate worship or like some, a body of worship as um, not being liminal, right? Is like being in like this bigger space together or like becoming something bigger than the individual or this larger. Um, but then, of course, like history of Black church in America, it, it like totally challenges that kind of white reading of worship or, or um, I keep wanting to use the word corporate, which is so weird. Um, and, and says that, yes, I am a Presbyterian by how I was raised. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that you're doing very careful work um, in Mother World to kind of set up the spaces in which the poems take place. And one of those, one of those is how you're talking about liminality and liminal and alter life. Um but I also really loved what you do with the concept of tenderness, which um, we see come up in your poem, Murmurings. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if this is a good time, if you would be interested in reading Murmurings or oh, later yes, or part of it. But... Yeah, I can read it. Thank you. Murmurings, seekers overheard at the oracles of Mamanim, creatrix of Akrain. I'm trying to remote my mouth to speak more bravely. Say now, did you say you were lost or lost? Be patient with me, God's not done working on me yet. How cruel to fill the bounds of our flesh erode while the borders of this nation remain intact. That's all I'm saying. We should inhabit more tenderness and more menace. Listen, you can't catch me. I come here to shape my hands to be more brave. Trying to get a grip, but the grief makes me slip. Word, I ache to feel grounded the same way I want some plot of dirt to ache from my body one day. Wait for me in the distance between prophecy and prophesy, displaced and misplaced, return and recoil, and I'll be there. 
The creek here now that is all dried up smells like rue and irises and dross. I wake up and I can trust that I've done my best and also know that best is often not good enough. Be patient with me. I'm almost done. I come here to shape my cabin heart, both collapsed and calcified, trying to get a grip, but the grief makes me sick. Try to locate me in the distance between oil and soil, oil and water, water and blood, blood in the soil, or more precisely, I'm trying to reshape the language languishing in my mouth as rot. The mouth is mine. The language is not. This tongue is mine. That tongue is not. Even in my dreams, I do not fight. My punches do not land. My throat turns into wet sand. I'm learning to inhabit more tenderness and menace. If the bounds of our flesh are in erosion, then these borders are going to get corrosion. When you hear us say we, that may mean you, yes, but mostly it means who are you and who's your mama? For whom have you been refuge? Trying to get a grip, but the tears make my mouth slick. Care could always make homes of thresholds. Listen, you can't catch me, at least not all of me. Be patient. We come here to make the world come undone. Thank you. I think that the addition of menace to tenderness is um, exactly what is needed. I am learning to inhabit both more tenderness and more menace. Um, and I think this comes up in, in a lot of different ways that we work and um, I think it's like really easy to, I don't know, maybe it's not, but to kind of rally behind the idea of tenderness as poets and educators and caretakers and, and all the different ways. But right now, I think the idea of protecting our communities too um, is so big and so pertinent. Um, and I mean, we're we're animals as much as we're you know we're rational the whole rational animals thing i always think about us as being animals and animals have ways to protect themselves and i don't know yeah i was raised in a family with like a lot of guns and that's obviously not what i'm talking about here but, but um that yeah that that protection is also care um, and providing and, and caring for others. And care is like a huge, a huge theme, care work in, in mother world too. I wanted to ask um, what was, what were some challenges that arose for you when you're writing mother world? And I, I asked this selfishly because I've been working on a manuscript and I feel like there's been a lot more birth pangs with this one than my last one in some ways. Hmm. Man, I think one challenge was kind of what I alluded to in terms of why I began writing Mother World. Um, which is out of an experience, out of an experience of um, feeling both 
you know, convinced that another world is possible um, and also really scared in the world that we are inhabiting right now, um, feeling burnt out, splintered. I think that <laughs> that's an affective space uh, is really was was a real challenge. Um, I think the other challenge for me was um, yeah, also wanting to be brave like in what I wrote. Um, I think that I think that there is a lot of pressure from systems of, of oppression that like as a way to survive, um, we're often forced to be like as amenable as possible or as amical as possible or as quiet as possible and and not take the risk that we really need for liberation and um and I'm I don't think I've taken nearly enough risk for my own liberation or the liberation of the communities to which I'm accountable. And, you know, could have definitely taken more risk in Mother World, but that was also a challenge for me. So like, I did really want to be brave. I wanted to create a book that was an offering to folks really thrown down against the system and fighting. Um, not because I think that poetry in and of itself is um, radical, right? Like poetry and language always has some sort of relationship to power uh, and people can make decisions in terms of how they're crafting language. Um, are they using it to reinforce uh, certain like hegemonic ideologies or are they using it to subvert? Um, and so it wasn't to me about like, oh, by writing poetry is inherently radical. No, but I do think that poetry can, you know, act as a type of echolocation where um, it's more like you read something and you find out that somebody else is reading or engaging with this work and then y'all can get together and y'all can do something really cool. Um, but poetry can be that signal that these people over here are throwing down and, and tearing things down and also like building the spaces that we need in order to care for each other. Um, and so I think that was the, the biggest challenge um, because I wanted 
like I wanted the politics of Mother World to be clear. I wanted the politics of it, you know, being abolitionist, anti-colonial, um, being in the interest and cultivation and tending of, of Black life, um, being really clear that it's not simply a matter of reforms that we have to go through to make it a little bit better, but this world like has to end, uh, you know, the Afro-pessimist like insisted like it, like it has to end. Um, it just has to, it's just, it just has to end. And so, yeah, I think that was probably it still is a thing that I have the most questions about for myself. Um, because I think the the other way that liminality operates in in the manuscript is um is that in betweenness of both inhabiting tenderness and menace and really practicing discernment in, in terms of for whom is my tenderness available and for whom is my menace available? Um, because of how fucked up the world is for our survival and, and black people in particular, oftentimes, like I was saying that we have to be like amicable and like there's this um, demand for a, a certain type of respectable posturing in order to survive. And it, like it's incentivized to also treat, you know, people in our own communities for, for those who are experiencing marginalizations and oppressions, like to not, like to treat them not as well as we would treat those in power basically. And so like that the tenderness doesn't become available to, to those who actually pour into our survival. Um, and the menace isn't directed at those who are everyday <laughs> institutionalized like new ways to expose us to death. So uh, yeah, that liminal space is so, yeah, that bravery, that practice of discernment, um, that's what I was really working through and still am working through. And I think that was the most challenging thing because I think, I, I think especially in this moment where people are practicing, there's a, a resurgence of particular types of new age spiritual practices um, that end up being a replication of, you know, deracination, colonization, commodification of other people's spiritual practices around the globe. Um, it like depoliticized and made apolitical that I, I, it was really important for me that the book isn't read as um, trying to evade material conditions, but something that I really, and wrestling with is how um, practices of 
like black mysticism, one are already entangled and informed by material conditions and have actually been activated as a way to um like for revolt and 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 towards revolution. So but those are big things um to wrestle with, but I definitely didn't want people to pick it up and it depoliticize <laughs> of of what, what was happening. And so that ended up being a challenge in terms of how do I craft language to to make all those gestures and more. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. And there are there are poems like the water chants, um, especially I think of where I mean it's like the thing we we talk about with it. Our students, like, I, I think this comes up for all teachers that, um, like, the feelings, they have to be anchored, right? That they, that we just don't set these things, like, adrift or, um, I don't know if it, if attachment is the right language or thinking about um, how our work is, is grounded or rooted, but, which is a funny word to use for the water, um, but that, you know, as real, as real as our real water, um, as our climate crisis, as, you know, the, like, the, like you said, the material conditions around us, um, and, and not like to their evasion. Um, and I think that's so important for understanding. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been really into just getting into I think I I now feel okay enough to read um, pandemic novels or post-pandemic novels and thinking about community formation and what it's like to, um, where I just read The Mushroom at the End of the World, like Life in Capitalist Ruins, where it's talking about like salvage rhythms and um, like what it's like to work in ruins, which I just feel so wholly applicable right now. Um, and the, and the subject in that book is the, this, you know, mushroom that does really well in forests of great, of great disturbance where there's great human disturbance. Like they actually tend to thrive in poorer soils where there's more disturbance. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, my mushrooms. And, and I think that that is like, where we need to be thinking and, and where we need to be creative because those are our conditions. Like it's the conditions where healthcare is being, you know, yanked away from people. And even if you have insurance, you're not getting them, you know, your meds are continually <laughs> in denial. Like you're not getting them. And so it's like, what's the point? Um, and you know, that thinking alternatively, whether that's, you know, getting hormones to people who need them or, you know, all kinds of, of different things that there, I don't know, that there have always been counter movements. Um, and I think you're totally right to bring up like poetry isn't an intrinsically radical act, right? It's, it's how it's used. It's how it's applied. Um, but I do think it's something that 
poetry can work with like subversiveness or um alternative modes have you have you spoken um and apologies if i've like missed this conversation i've been kind of in and out of the lit world with gig economy everything um mm -hmm. but um you know you brought up like afro pessimism and, and um Afrofuturism is kind of a topic that I could see Mother World um, coming up in conversation with, and I was wondering how you how you speak about your book um, in that way because, yeah, I would just love to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, I think that I think that I think of my book as definitely belonging to Black. speculative traditions um, that, you know, can be understood as, as the assemblage that is Afrofuturism um, or Black futurity, um, but also other types of, of speculative thought and, and speculative art making. Um, and so I think that while my work definitely engages Black futurity, um, something that is also important to me in my work is that it's simultaneously presentist and impulse. Um, and that's important to me because some of what I am interested in is the Black everyday, the Black quotidian. Um, that makes Black life possible and how to amplify those practices um, as part of of a future, quote unquote. Um, the other thing Oh, is that with I mean, I, I, for me, I often saw Afro pessimism, Afro futurism in dialogue um, with each other um, because of the indictment that, you know, this world is organized um, around an axis of, of anti-Blackness and Black people transported and exported as, as commodity. Um, and that the world has to end. And if we take that seriously, the world having to end, I think that does make pathways for 
like speculative imagination. Um, and so that's how I saw them intertwined and was experiencing them as intertwined as I was as I was making maneuvers that what does it mean to take seriously that the world has to end um, and, and what types of imagining become available, which, you know, isn't, or yeah, isn't that different? It's absolutely in conversation with abolition, absolutely in conversation with decolonization, which Fanon makes, you know, very explicit, um, like requires violence to overthrow the violence of colonization. And um, so absolutely already in conversation with that, but yeah, what does it mean to actually take it seriously? What, what types of imagination become available once we take it seriously? But also what do we notice um, about like the everyday practices that people are using to sustain life against in the midst of of this world, you know, shaped out of capitalism, chattel slavery, colonization, anti-blackness patriarchy yes and you know i think that octavia e. butler like is in is in your your book right god has changed and um i think there's like a temptation with speculative fiction to think of it as like here's our world and then oh here's this text with imagine something wholly different and it's like a almost like a voyeurism you enter into as a reader you like you go there and then you come out of the text and that goes away, right? Like if you're reading parable of the sower, the parable of the talents, like you can enter the text and then leave it. Um, but your attention to time and, you know, in the now, right? Like that's one of the refrains in, in mother world that, um, you know, you bring, you bring the reader's attention back to the now and in a very non-fictional space too, which I think is also, really incredible to think about like <laughs> speculative nonfiction, right. Um, as being like the place of, of your book. Um, and that that's, that's like such a powerful, um, to be in the present that way with, with your texts and, and very, I think your reader really feels the time of that and is centered in that time. Um, and doesn't get to escape into their lawyerism, like, <laughs> I'm going to go off here and then come back um, that they're there the whole time. Is there a poem you would like to read now? Sure. Also, we're meeting on this really, um, we're reading on this really auspicious day, I've been told. Um, I mean, I knew it was the full moon and full moon and Virgo super moon, but apparently it's, it's Jupiter, right? That's moving out of Aquarius into Pisces for the next two and a half years. Like today. Yeah, Saturn. Oh, Saturn. There we go. Yeah, Sorry. So I'm, I'm leaving my Saturn return. I'm so excited. Yes. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've been like watching these videos on 
well, you know, liminal came up in like doorways and doorways as event spaces and like doing rituals that, you know, you pass through them. And at first I was like, I don't, I don't know about that. But then this person was talking about like, yeah, they're event spaces. So that's why, you know, you know what you want to get from the other room and you walk to the doorway into the other space and you immediately forget and you have to walk back through. And I was like, like it convinced <laughs> me. I was like, okay, you're right. You're right about doorways. Um, yeah. So definitely in that, that space. Yeah. That reminds me today in class, we were talking about Audrey Lord's litany for survival. And yeah, she invokes shorelines and edges of decision and also doorways. That's those threshold moments. Oh, I love that. What an amazing poem to sit with today. Mm -hmm. um, the, this is the future is unsettled a spell for fugitivity. May the sediment of the sentiment shifting, sifting the ruins unsettle you and make no apology for our being untethered to the Taluric. From the chasm we were born and from the chasm we birth, the unearthing, we shimmering, otherworldly. We cicada ourselves, yes, as it is the soft dirt that has saved and salvaged us, yes, and also because we are insistent on return. Not all hauntings bad, no, but for you it just might be. If you hear our song as strident, know this, we give thanks to the home found underground. We give thanks to the swamps that have engulfed our secrets, marooned us and our wings as secret. We honor the dirt moving underneath, reminding us that to Ground into unground takes practice. If you hear our song as strident, notice the contingency you impose is the contingency that you now oppose. Haunting infractions refract what coming with our breath to dust, settlements to dust. We, here we inhale the stern before collapse. We exhale and blow your walls down. You're so vain. You think the song ain't about you. Don't you keep our names in your mouth say take all names out your mouth the world you made yours is undone the chasm expands we say let there be flight yes their flight be thank you it's incredible yeah is um is there anything you want to let our listeners know in terms of events coming up or projects you're doing with Mother World? I mean, this has happened in the past, but I want to uplift it uh, before we go, which is that um, really had an amazing opportunity to work with um, a collective of folks to adapt Mother World as a choreo poem. And I wanted to uplift um, Monet and Soraya and King and Rafi and Brittany and Janae, our stage manager, and Ade, our sound designer, and Patience, the set designer, and Aaron, the light designer. Um, and yeah, it was just a really deeply, deeply nourishing experience 
Um, and felt so good to, you know, have an honored as performance ritual um, and to actually experience the language moving through multiple bodies in real time. Um, yeah, I feel like it just, is that reminder of, of rehearsal and like rehearsing for the types of lives and practices and worlds or even anti-worlds because there is some conceptual theory about like, well, do we even need a world? But, um, <laughs> but yeah, rehearsing and practicing that, allowing that to live in our, in our bodies. So I wanted to uplift them because it meant so much that before Mother World entered as a bound book, um, entered through their bodies to the public. Destiny, was that recorded? There are some um, live stream recordings that I think still might be available on North Stars, North Star Church of the Arts YouTube page. I'm not sure if it's still available. Okay. We'll look into it. And if so, we'll make sure to have links, any pertinent links in the show notes for folks to check out, as well as a link to both um, Oracle, Cosmology, and Mother World from Action Books, and also, of course, Destiny's personal website. And just want to thank you for being here today and generous gifts of your time and reading your beautiful poems. And I'm so excited for future readings and and all the work and community work you do thank you so much much gratitude all right so i'm gonna 